The following is a special presentation of Western New York Catholic Audio, a roundtable discussion marking Black Catholic History Month. Welcome to this special podcast series by Western New York Catholic, honoring National Black Catholic History Month. I'm Mary Gregg, and I'm a parishioner at St. Martin de Porres Parish, 555 Northampton Street. And um, I'm going to apologize right now, because you could probably hear that I'm a little hoarse. It comes and it goes, but we're going to get through this. Um, at St. Martin de Porres, which I'm a very proud member of, um, we were actually formally established on March 7, 1993, by Bishop uh, Edward Head. We are a predominantly African-American parish who warmly welcomes all people. I'm talking about St. Martin de Porres because we're very proud that our church was the first new Catholic church built in the city of Buffalo since 1964. And... We are multi-ethnic in our membership. However, um, it was our African-American heritage that stimulated both the building um, and the creation of our parish. The other thing we're extremely proud of is that we paid for our church through, um, and and I wish um, one of the participants was a lady who reminded me that one of the things she did in order to help make her contribution to the building of our church was actually collect bottles. Can you imagine that? People did everything, bake sales. It it was the most amazing process. And um, I remember Deacon as well, I'm sure you do. And I'm gonna introduce everybody in just a moment. But um, the moment we burned that mortgage was was just the most wonderful heartwarming experience that um, I've ever experienced as a Catholic. So let me introduce the people who are here to join in this uh, conversation about National Black Catholic History Month. We have uh, Sister Roberta who um, is the director of the Office of Cultural Diversity and Social Justice for the Diocese of Buffalo. Welcome sister. We have Deacon Ron Walker, who was one of the founders, along with myself, for St. Martin de Porres. Welcome, Deacon. Thank you. We're going to learn more about all of our backgrounds um, in just a moment. And I'm really happy to have Marilyn Ward, who um, is also joining us. Marilyn, you are a parishioner of St. Bridget Columba, is that correct? Yes, St. Columba Bridget. Thank you for that. I do that all the time. (laughs) Yes. Well, welcome to all of you. We're we're really here today to talk about the influence of black Catholics in America and in the world. I don't know if people realize it, but nearly a quarter of the U.S. population, which is about 23%, identify as Catholic. But only 4% of U.S. Catholics are black or African-American. And Catholics represent only an estimated 6% of the black population in the United States. So while our numbers may not be great, the contributions and the influence of black Catholics are greatly overlooked 
and underestimated. And that's why we're here today, to discuss some of the um, opportunities, some of the benefits, some of the blessings that we brought to the Catholic Church, and also discuss the challenges of being black and Catholic. Here's what I want to make sure that people understand. Black Catholicism did not start with slavery. Our history did not start with slavery. So let's discuss some of that, start the discussion with that, and then we'll move on to some other um, important highlights that uh, I hope we have a chance to discuss. Now, let me start with Deacon. Okay. So Deacon, tell me something. Your experience as being a deacon, because we don't have a lot of um, black deacons in our church, do we? No, we don't. So why don't you talk about your experiences? Well, I'm happy to say that I'm the first African-American black deacon, uh, and I was ordained in 1980. One of my experiences was, uh, well, one thing was that uh, we, uh, being the first, is I really didn't uh, think about it, but you you really do. Uh, it's a pioneering thing in, in one sense, uh, and I never forget how. Mary, I'm getting <laughs> my word. <clears throat> one of the things that it, well, maybe I should start from the very beginning. How I became and got involved was with uh, at St. Patrick's with the. Uh, Franciscan Friars. At that time, I was in the parish, and one of the friars that I knew, which I call him Father Woody at that time, he came to me and approached me and said, hey, would you like to become a deacon? And I said, oh. I said, I'm not going to go on, I'm not interested directly for, for priesthood, but uh, what is this? And he said, no, 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 this is a permanent deacon. And, uh, of course, he asked me, well, do you know what holy orders are? And I said, well, yeah, I, I know what this is, but well, what about this permanent deacon thing? And uh, I thought about it, and uh, he said, well, I want you to go downtown and talk to Father Ted Krause. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I went down to see him, and uh, he told me that they had this diaconate program and that they were, that since Vatican II, they reintroduced the uh, permanent deacons. And I said, oh. Then we talked about, then we talked about, you know, I, uh, he said that he was out in the diocese, he went to a number of, of parishes, and, uh, and he found out about me, <laughs> that I was involved heavily in the church. and. Uh, <laughs> So I said, well, Father, you know, give me a little bit more. Tell me about this. I said, but I, if, it's, if you're talking about priesthood, uh, I'm not quite sure. But to make a long story short, uh, after talking to him, he gave me some papers and applications and things like that. And he said, well, think about it. And, and, and one of the most beautiful things he said, pray about it, because this is truly a vocation. And I said, oh, OK. Then I prayed about it, and then that, that spark, that, that spark uh, was, you know, through the Holy Spirit, called me to take a really deep look at this and said, do I really wanted to do this? And uh, one of the things that I, I, you know, I talked to my grandmother and my mother and the family, and 
uh, they were a little bit skeptical as to <laughs> why I was doing this. <laughs> uh, was I influenced in, the, in any direction or something like that? And I said, no, I said, you know, I said, God calls. Uh, and then one of the biggest questions at that time was, uh, was about celibacy. If I was not married, could I, you know, and I said, well, yeah, right now I'm not interested in any marriage or anything like that. Uh, I thought I would basically just <laughs> take a look at it, and, 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 I, and I felt called, and uh, so 40-some years later, here I am. <laughs> 40 years. Yeah. So. Thank you for that overview. I never heard that story before. That's really interesting. I don't get to tell it all the time. Well, <laughs> but it's I'm good to know. I'm glad you did here. Sister, what's your story? How did you decide to become a, a sister, a nun? Well, as Sister Thea says, tell the truth, 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 right? I, I, I am from South Carolina. Most people know I was born in a little town called King Street, South Carolina. And there in my town, I knew the Sisters of St. Mary. And they worked with us. And I was so inspired by their outreach and helping uh, the African-American community at that time. This was back in um, the 60s. And it was at the height of the civil rights movement. And um, I, I couldn't believe as a young person that there were women who were brave enough and courageous enough to stand up for we are all children of God, black and white. And you can imagine in those days the, um, the courage that took facing the Ku Klux Klans, uh, facing uh, real prejudice, racial hatred. But God was with those sisters, and that's the true truth of why I wanted to be a sister. I wanted to serve people, and I wanted to be like them, uh, uh, their vocation. And, you know, um, many people know that my mom was not Catholic, nor was my dad, and I didn't... Uh, become Catholic to later in life. And um, it was that desire, kind of like Deacon, that one of the sisters said to me, have you ever thought about being a sister? And I was, you know, I was very active in school and uh, loved school and um, had a lot of friends. And, and as you said at the beginning, Mary, about the population of black Catholics in my little town, I don't even know if it was 1%, you know, of the whole town, but black Catholics. Maybe there were, at the most, maybe 20 of us. And so the mass was in Latin, and um, I remember being, being instructed by uh, one of the priests there in South Carolina, Father Burns, is how you remember names, as I remember Sister Teresa Clare and Sister Kathleen, who really inspired me. Uh, they would uh, not only uh, do fun things with us, attending a football games, taking us to Myrtle Beach when it was segregated, 
and uh, trying to open the doors for all those things, trying to go in, eat at restaurants when they didn't serve black people, um, not to even try to think about a hotel. But the sisters did those sorts of things with us. And I remember that I said, I, I'm good, like Deacon, I prayed about it. I said, is God calling me to do this? And the thing I remember my mom and dad saying, well, maybe we don't want it for her, but if it's something she wants to do, we will stand with her. And my dad always said, and if she doesn't like it, I want her to come home, because I came to Buffalo. And so there it began, reaching out, helping people, serving, um, teaching, uh, doing outreach in terms of social justice things. Uh, part of, I was in Washington, D.C. We had a house of studies there. We did a lot of things around the time of Dr. Martin Luther King and his March on Washington and a resurrection city there in D.C. And going out and being with the people, standing up for what we had then called justice things. So it was an exciting moment. And my life has been rich after, as Deacon said, 55 plus years of being a sister of St. Mary. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Quite rich. Marilyn, let's hear, hear a little bit about your experience as Catholic. Well, I was born in Buffalo, baptized Catholic at Our Lady of Lourdes Church, which no longer exists right now. Um, I also attended Our Lady of Lourdes School. And while I was attending there, I saw a black nun. And I went home and I said, Mommy, Mommy, I want to be a sister or a nun. She said, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the nun was my teacher. I can't remember the name because it's been so long ago. But um, that's where it started there. Then as I continue on with the Catholic education, we moved from the area and then we moved to downtown Buffalo, um, the Ellicott District sector. So then we attended St. Columbus School. And at St. Columbus School, they did not have any black nuns. They were all Caucasians. And they were sisters of St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. So I was educated as an elementary school under the Sisters of St. Joseph. And like Sister Roberta said here, they used to take us to different places and we had fun and different things like that. And um, after that, I also attended another Catholic school, which is Bishop McMahon, which mm. no longer existed. Mm. And, uh, and mostly all of those schools there, there were like Caucasians, where I had Caucasians none, I had Caucasian um, sisters, that were teaching. I did not really realize that um, I was a black Catholic or a Caucasian Catholic. That never came to mind, even though, as Sister said also, that the Mass was always in Latin, but eventually it went to English. Um, it was just kind of like hard where I didn't really figure as being separated. So I went to college, and there I went to college in South Carolina. Now, the majority of the people in South Carolina, and I went to a historical black college, which was Benedict College. I went there. Mostly everyone there were Baptists, were Protestant. So 
I kind of like got shunned from there <laughs> because I was Catholic and I was going to the Catholic mass while I was there. And they hurt my feelings so, so bad. And they were African-American and I was African-American or black and they were shunning me, my own kind of like people of my color. So I used to call my mom and I said, mommy, mommy, they're doing this. I used to complain about them. And she said, don't worry, baby, you'll be all right. And she kept saying that every time I would call her and complain about them. So I continued to go to church and it, and it kind of like eased off. And so then I came back to Buffalo and went to school here. And um, someone had invited me to go to the Black National Conference, which was held in Buffalo. So I went and I saw all these black nuns, all these black bishops, priests, cardinals, and they were all dressed in their, their clothing. And I was like, wow, are all these people African-American Catholic? And I couldn't believe it. So that's when my eyes began to be open of separating Caucasian Catholics from the black Catholics and the rhythm that they had. I mean, the music. Now, some of those songs that they were singing, I was like, I know that song. Hmm. And I have known the song because my aunt and uncle, they used to always take me to church because they were my overseer while I was going to college. And those down-home songs that the Catholic, black Catholics were singing, and they were, I guess I want to say they had the Holy Spirit. Yes. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And then I thought to myself, what is the difference? So I'm still yet trying to learn the difference or know the difference, but that was quite amazing. And I'm still growing and um, hope to grow more within the religion. Thank you so much. You know, I notice uh, uh, there is something that is common in each one of your stories, and that is faith. I've heard each of you talk about God said, do it. Have faith. Deacon, sister, Marilyn. And I think that is a huge part of being Catholic. It helps you get through the racial prejudice, the experiences that um, are a part of being American and African-American, especially in this country. And if your faith is strong enough, you can get through it. And perhaps that is uh, one of the strong messages here. You know, one of the things that I also heard you say, Sister, and I can't resist going back to it, is um, I notice how interestingly similar your background is to one of the people who are on the pathway to becoming saints, and that's Sister Thea Bowman, because her parents also were not Catholic, and she made that decision to become a, a sister and faced a lot of challenges and yet persevered. Um, I believe you knew her. Oh, I did. Um, uh, I didn't say that growing through being a sister, one of the extended sisters is the National Black Sisters Conference. Mm -hmm. And I have been a member of the National Black Sisters Conference since the um, 
uh, 60s, 68 is when it was founded. And Sister Thea was a member of the National Black Sisters Conference. And we walked side by side, laughed together, sang together, like you said, the music. Sister Thea opened me up to that, uh, that spirit. And she was so dynamic. Uh, when I was in South Carolina, I had her come to be a speaker, do a revival for us. She stayed right at my convent there in Sumter, South Carolina with us. It was when she was very sick. She was in the midst of her cancer treatments, but she kept saying, I'm gonna live till I die. And she did. And I remember her coming, and I was fortunate enough, I went to her funeral. And oh my goodness, you know, it was, it, we, we, we love Sister Thea. And that's why she is on the road to sainthood, and we, we pray that she will one day be lifted up as, as a, a saint, because she lived that life. She struggled uh, with her illness. You would know she was sick. She would rest in between times, but she, and her most famous thing she's known for when she brought the bishops together at the conference, and she asked them, to join hands and sing together, we shall overcome. That was moving. And she even asked the bishops to lock arms. She said, I know you all don't know how to come together and hold each other's hand, but we're gonna do this because that's what it's all about. And she was able to bring people together in their diversity. She loved everyone. You know, she would sing the Negro spirituals, and one of her moving songs was, I feel like a motherless child. Oh, yes. Not yes. that she meant that in a physical way, but the, the whole thing of our culture and losing so much when you started about, we, our story doesn't begin with slavery. Back in Africa, at those hush harbors when people prayed and they called on God. And that's, that's what, keeps me keeping on because of all those elders that have gone before us. And, and, and especially, can't mention Sister Thea without thinking of the clergy caucus because the clergy caucus, was they were the one that had the vision for a National Black Catholic Month. And they, it, it didn't start to July 24, 1990. Oh and it was, um, he died last year, but Father Jim Good he was very instrumental in that we have to, as November is the month when you honor all the saints. And so we were going to start remembering Black Catholic History Month because we have some saints in glory. And the saints who have lived, and oh my goodness, not to mention all of the lay people who struggled, who, who walked the walk and talked the talk. So thank you, Mary, for you know, helping me know that there have been so many people like Sister Thea Bowman. Anret DeLille, I didn't know her personally, but I know the Sisters of the Holy Family in New Orleans. And I went to her uh, church where she was baptized. And then we can't stop without even thinking about the Oblate Sisters. They were here in Buffalo, and they were the first African-American group of women because we all know the story of how black people couldn't enter religious congregations, mm -hmm. and they were there. And not even to not leave out the handmaids of Mary in Harlem, and their struggle, and how in Savannah there, 
they had to beg for food and people would not accept them. They wore the habit and people would spit on them and ask them to even take the habit off. But you know, that's our story. It is our story. You know, the thing that really um, is interesting to me and I think puzzles me as well is that there are no African-American saints. I don't know if people realize that. And yet we have six, you named a few of them, who are currently on the road to sainthood. There is the venerable Pierre Toussaint, a servant of God, Mother Mary Lang, who um, was the head of the Oblate Sisters of Providence. The Oblates who, by the way, were the first black order of nuns I ever experienced because they came to St. Nicholas. And I remember when I saw them, I was stunned because previous to that, we had always had white nuns. And I thought, well, in order to be a nun, you had to be white because that's all I saw. You know, as a child, you make conclusions based on what you see. That's why representation is so important. And I will never forget when the Oblates came to St. Nicholas, we turned from one of the worstly disciplined group of children to almost, not quite, but almost the best because they didn't tolerate any foolishness. And they spoke to us because they knew how. I remember, I, I remember thinking, <clears throat> oh my goodness, excuse me. <clears throat> I remember thinking and, and saying to my mother, these people look like us and they also talk like us, which made a difference in behavior because they were not afraid to talk to our parents. So if we misbehave in school, it was a call to my parents who knew what I had done before I got home and they dealt with it then. It was, it, was, it was like extended family. And to have um, Mother Mary Lang uh, as a servant of God and on the, the way to priest uh, sainthood is just kind of remarkable. You also um, mentioned uh, the venerable um, Henriette DeLille, also a nun, and the venerable Augustus Tolton, servant of God, Julia Greeley, and of course, Sister Thea Boltman, who is the youngest of the group. It, it's a long process to become a saint, probably longer than it is to become a sinner. <laughs> Editorial comment. <laughs> but um, it's good to know that at least we have six on the way, and hopefully um, they will achieve sainthood uh, soon in our lifetime. You know, I just want to have a discussion about, if we're, I think we have a little time, I want to discuss the um, National Black Congress because uh, it's been mentioned a couple times and I think all of us were there this year. Yes. Oh, you didn't come, Marilyn? Oh, it was fabulous though. So Deacon, what do you bring back from the Congress? Well. How, how united we are. You know, we live in different states, but, but how to see that body of, uh, of uh, and that, un that unity. And one of the most impressive things to know that we have a future generation, to see the young people, yes. and they were a witness. Yes. 
you know, you, you know, you get encouraged when you when you see the young because, uh, as my grandmother used to say a long time ago, out the mouth of babes. You know, they can tell a story, and they can lead others, and encourage one another. And I was so encouraged by that, uh, the discussions and uh, talks, and and then the final to to leave united. To, to go back and tell the story, how our Lord has infected us, how we carry on, as my grandmother said, keep on keeping on. Yes. Sister, what was your experience? I, I know you go to all of them. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been blessed. I've been to every Congress since they were reactivated. Wow. And so uh, it's, it's powerful for me. But to be again among 3,000 black Catholics from around the country, I think 48 states were represented. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. And so, uh, but the, like Deacon said, the spirit, you know, the theme was uh, write the vision, a prophetic call to thrive. Because we think about we're dying. There's no life. Black Catholics are leaving the church. What are we going to do? Our story there was, we are going to stay on the battlefield. Yes. We're going to spread the good news, and we're going to do evangelization. Mm -hmm. And like with those young people, I'll witness to that the Catholic Church in the black community is not dead. It's being reorganized, and we're going to be there, and we're going to keep on. But that it was to see all the black priests to see the Cardinal Gregory, again, Cardinal Gregory, I, I always tell people I knew him when he was a little baby priest. <laughs> and, and always, you know, just a good relationship with him. Um, and, and to see Bishop Stibe and to see Bishop Perry and to see Braxton and, oh, I can go on. I, you know, I'm fortunate, like you say, I know all pretty much all the black cardinals, Bishop um, the bishops, and the sisters, the deacons, oh, the lay people, the, the you know, people who, who have been on the battlefield. We were so proud, and the liturgy, having the net, the opening liturgy at the shrine in Washington. Wasn't that wonderful? It was, was just so powerful. Oh, my God. And then to have our opening reception at the African American Museum. Yes. That was just uh, you can't imagine the joy. It was just a very fulfilling experience. I, I remember thinking, um, debating whether or not I wanted to attend, and then I remembered we don't have this chance often to be the majority. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We are often so, well, you know, there's only that many of you. But when you bring 3,000 black Catholics together in one space, there's no more this thought of being the minority because you see people who look like you, talk like you, who sing like you, who dance like you. It was just, um, it was powerful and I think extremely important. You know, we talk about how difficult it is to um, recruit people. And I couldn't help but think that if we saw more of us, it wouldn't be so difficult because you know that um, if you see yourself, you can be yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not about being the first like you, Deacon. Right. You know, being the first is not easy. 
because you don't know what to expect. You don't have anybody to talk to. But when there are others like you, well, different story, different story. So we had that experience. Now, Congress is held not every year, is that correct? It's every five years. Oh, what a shame. We have to wait four more years? Right. But we we are um, commissioned to come back to our diocese okay. and live the vision yes. and write the vision. Mm-hmm. So our hope is to meet with Bishop Fisher okay. and share our experience of Congress and maybe not just keep it in Martin DePore's Columba Bridget, Blessed Trinity, mm-hmm. but that we tell this story to all the different parishes in Buffalo and they get a taste of Congress through our witness. And that's what we're hoping to do. And that's the intention. Usually after Congress, you write a pastoral plan. This year they did it a little different. We did a survey at the end of Congress. And from what the people who attended said, we're going to write some vision statements about what are the challenges in the African-American Catholic community and what are ways we can thrive as black Catholics in the Catholic Church. That's the march forward. We've got five years to really try to implement some of these things. And being able to recognize that being Catholic is a unique experience. Um, I I think one of the things that sometimes um, perturbs me a little bit is when I hear people who are trying to understand who we are compare us to other religions. So, for example, um, St. Martin de Porres, we we have a a gospel choir. And when people come in, they they sometimes are a little um, surprised, pleasantly so, to hear drummers and bass players and hear gospel songs that, like you said, Marilyn, these are familiar songs to us. Well, they're familiar songs because of who we are. Not because of what religion we are, but Mm -hmm. who we are as a people. So they're very common to us, and we enjoy singing them, and we enjoy expressing ourselves. So it's not that we are trying to be like another religion. Uh, We're not, let me see how to say this, we're not Catholic Baptists. We're not Catholic (laughs) Lutherans. That's true. We're Catholic. But we're African-American Catholics. So we bring our heritage and our culture into our our liturgy. And I think that's the uniqueness of who we are. I remember when we were, when I was younger anyway, and um, we had Latin masses. And I'll be very honest with you, I had no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. I spoke it. I didn't know what it meant. So when we made that conversion and started to use English, it started to mean something to me. So we, again, established traditions based on who we are, not other religions. So I I hope people understand that, no, we are not black Catholic Baptists. We are black Catholics. And we bring our culture, our celebration, our traditions to our liturgy. It is, um, a, sometimes it can be a quiet liturgy, and sometimes it can be a, just a raucous one. We recently had a revival, for example. Some people are surprised we have revivals. Yes. I, I don't know, I don't know why, they, why there's ownership on revivals. Uh-huh. You know, 
yeah, everyone needs to be revived. Everyone has right. to have that opportunity just to, to rekindle who we are, what we are, and where we are. There's so much going on in the world today. In our own community, right down the street from St. Martin de Porres, yes. we had a mass shooting. It affected who we are, how we mm -hmm. felt. Um, people were afraid to come to mass because of, you know, the environment. But, you know, after a while, you pray about it, you pray hard about it, and you take measures to adjust, and you remember that the person, the entity that controls all of it is more powerful than any of it. And God is protecting us. Yeah, God, God is, is good. Protecting us. All the time, God is good. All the time, all the time. We have some events coming up uh, for uh, Black History Month, do we, sister? Yes, uh, we're having a kind of our the Diocese of Buffalo presentation of our history in Buffalo because Buffalo has a rich history. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I recently, last about a year ago, we reactivated the Knights and Ladies of Peter Claver. Yes. And so there had been a court and council here uh, back in the 40s, and it went dormant. And um, with Bishop Fisher, we were excited that we now have a court and council of the Knights and Ladies of Peter Claver. And so we are doing things. Our Founders Day is coming up uh, in November. And um, often you hear us talking about the Knights and Ladies of Peter Claver. It's a fraternal organization. Where underneath it, it's a service organization. And it's not just that we get dressed up and turn out. Yes. <laughs> it's bigger yeah. than that. Yes, it it, but it's a, it's, it, it has junior daughters and junior knights. It's family-oriented. And we are at the service of our diocese and our parishes. And so we do a, a lot of wonderful things. And through that, the knights and ladies do outreach. We have pillars that we're concerned about. Our webinar is coming up on November the 11th. And we are inviting everyone to tune in, and it's, we're going to be doing an interfaith thing where we're going to have different ministers talk about uh, faith and uh, church and racism. And so uh, we're excited. Father Manuel Williams from Montgomery, Alabama, um, at Resurrection, I'm proud to say I was principal there at the school in Montgomery, uh, is going to be one of, he's going to be the um, moderator. And we're going to have um, one of the pastors here from uh, Buffalo, Pastor Jones, is going to be one of the uh, presenters. I didn't know that. Yes. So, uh, but we want you to stay tuned to that on November 11th. It's from 2 to 4. And there are flyers out, and you can register online. And so that's one of the events. We're going to have our own um, presentation online. A Zoom link will be available for that. We are gearing up for our big thing that will be in January, the Dr. Martin Luther King Mass, and that will be at Columba Bridget. And um, we're bringing in Monsignor Ray East from Washington, D.C., and he's going to be the homeless and the presenter for the day for our celebrations there. So we are, we're on the move. We're thriving. We, we're trying to do things more with our youth. My, um, my one thing to, to, to do is we want to plan a, a youth convocation for, for all of our young people uh, at Martin de Porres, at Columba Bridget, at Blessed Trinity, yes. and um, St. Lawrence. So we want to involve all of our family 
21 people in all that we do. That would be excellent. You know, we, we, we've talked about um, the opportunities that having Catholic schools brought to our um, own parishes. And with the closing of so many schools, those opportunities sort of evaporated. Doesn't mean that the need, though, evaporated. Mm-hmm. It would be, um, I'm glad to hear of all of these other opportunities that are coming up for young people to include them and to let them know that number one, number one, you're valued yes. and you're needed. I think that's that's hugely important. Now, Deacon, you're, you've worked with um, some of the young people as well in various programs. What are your thoughts about how we can improve encouraging them to come back to the Catholic faith? Uh, well, the same thing for adults. You have to go out and reach. You know, we had a thing with when Father Roger Brown was still was alive and still here in Buffalo. Each one, each one, reach one. And we got to tell, it goes back to what we did at Congress. Tell your story. Get the young people and, t- and, and talk to them. Encourage them. Uh, and we're trying to do that at St. Martin's. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult. But in spite of that, yes. just maybe if we, uh, one of the thoughts was get them to be lectors. Uh, uh, between the ages of uh, our teens. Uh, now we have altar servers and, and they're seven and eight and uh, but to get them beyond that it, it, it's you see we, we want to reach because that's our future like I said before that's our future the young people and get and also through that I think we can encourage their parents yes the parents, the, the parents, it has to get more involved. They have to see the story. They have to take a look because it's a lot more than, you know, there's a lot of things that, that's, that's influencing us in, in, in the diocese and a lot of things. And people got to realize, again, we are united and we want to tell the story. And if you're going to tell a story, then you got to tell some folks about it. And you got to tell our young folks. That's right. That's right. Marilyn, what are your thoughts about this? What what can we do to bring our young people back to church? Well, the young people that are at church now, I would say, hey, bring two people to church along with you. Mm. And then now you have three. You ask those three people, bring two more. And you keep multiplying. And like the title of the revival, Let's keep the fire burning. We can't let it go out. And so you keep adding wood to the flame to keep the fire going. And as far as the young people, then there'll be a whole group of young people. Mm. And, you know, parents also have to be involved with it, I agree, or grandparents. And I know when we were growing up, if my mother was at work, she said, you better be at Mass every last one of you. (laughs) If not, there was consequences to pay. So parents have to instill in their children that they should go to church. You know, you gotta bring, you gotta put that log in the fire, you know? And then like Deacon Ron said, you give them responsibility. 
oh, you're a lecturer, you're, we're going to put you in the choir. I mean, get them involved. You're a Eucharistic minister. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if there's an age limit on that. It is about making, giving them a role to play and not yes. just sitting in a pew. Right. Right. Who, right. Who wants to do that? Right. right. They can you know? usher. There's so many yes. things that they can do. You know, you know. I, I have to tell you, I heard um, it was not at a Catholic church, but it was at um, a, a church that I, I heard a young man do a sermon. He was, I think, about twelve. It was one of the most powerful sermons I ever heard, and I was sitting there thinking, from the voices of children, you get the truth, because at that point they still are not dealing with so many filters, you know? And I kept thinking, I wonder why don't we do that more? Is there an opportunity, not that they will do sermons all the time, but when do we give them the opportunity to share what's on their mind? We need to do more of that. And maybe they'll feel more valued and more important and more involved. So I'd like to um, explore that as well. Of course, there are the other things that are somewhat obvious. A lot of them love to sing. A lot of them love to dance. A lot of them play instruments very well. And instead of just waiting for them to have recitals or whatever, they can use those skills during the Mass or liturgy. So, you know, there's an opportunity there. A young people's liturgy, I think, would be fascinating, where they would be in charge with, you know, our help. So just but but the music would be theirs the message would be theirs i think that would be very revealing so i hope we're able to do some of those things to bring them back into the church you know when you had a school it was uh, it was a given yes. we are still struggling with so what do we do now that we don't have a school we've got to figure that out because as far as i know schools aren't going to start coming back all of a sudden so we can't use that as an excuse anymore. Well, when we had a school, you know, everything was okay. We don't have one. We haven't had them for years. Some of them are still closing. So what do we do to bring our young people back, to give them the faith when they really, really need that, that beacon of light, that hope? So we need to really work on that. And if there's anybody out there who's listening who has some other suggestions, I sure hope they contact the diocese and us on this pop podcast and uh, let them know what their thoughts are because I'm sure there are other thoughts out there. Now, I think we have to conclude this because we've been talking for a long time. Yes, we could probably go on. Yeah. We, yes, if we had some coffee, we probably could go on even further. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, nice water. Yeah. Thank, Thank goodness go. they didn't give us any. Uh, but the, the point is that the role, the influence, of black Catholics in America, in our community, is much more than people um, know. If you want to know more about it, well, come to one of our churches. Talk to us. Ask. We like to talk to you. We're not afraid. Don't you be afraid. And as far as tradition, well, the one thing we all bring to the table is that we're all Catholic. And Catholic is universal. So I'm going to leave with that because it seems like a, a pretty positive way to close up this conversation. Do you agree? 
Yes. yes. Amen. Yes. I'd, like to, I'd like to thank all of you for being with us today. Deacon Ron, um, thank you very much. I feel like I'm talking to an old friend. I see you. <laughs> yes. Sister, the same thing. Marilyn, you are uh, one of the members of the Ladies Apostolic, so I see you a lot, too. Yes. Um, our community is small, but our community is powerful, more powerful than I think we even know. So thank you so much for sharing just a little bit of what being black and being Catholic is all about. There's much more. And if people want to know more, well, maybe we'll do another podcast. Thank you. And thank you, Mary. Mary is one of those elders that has been faithful. And thank you for all you do as a witness and living, a living witness of what we can be when we come together. So we, I am very thankful to you with much gratitude for how you, you bring us together and help us keep stoking the fire. Absolutely. Right. Amen. You know, amen. amen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Here's the message we'll leave you with. We love being Catholic. We love being black. We love being who we are. And we'd like to share some of that with you. God bless you all. Amen. 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 You've been listening to a special presentation by Western New York Catholic Audio, a roundtable discussion marking Black Catholic History Month. You may find a full online list of activities celebrating Black Catholic History Month within the Diocese of Buffalo by visiting westernnewyorkcatholic.org. Special thanks to Deacon Timothy Criswell and to Alan Dussel for their technical assistance with this podcast. And thank you for listening. May God bless you.